Well, Merry Christmas, Fairfax Bible Church. If I haven't met you, my name's Matt. I serve as one of the elders here. My wife, Christy, and I lead a small group that meets right down the street in Random Hills. You all look fabulous. I feel like you look better than I. I feel a little underdressed tonight, but that's okay. We'll, we'll work through it. Uh, and I actually want to start tonight by uh, greeting the kids. Kids, where are you? Raise your hand. Let me see you. I see Ren. I see, uh, I see a couple of you. Great. Right, so are you guys excited for Christmas? On a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you? 10? 11? 7. Okay, so we got a little room to go. I'm about a 7 too. I'm going to get there, but it's okay. Um, so I remember, it's, like, it's hard to wait for Christmas, right? Grace, is it hard to wait for Christmas? Are you, like, busting? Yeah, I think I would be too. So I remember when I was a kid, I would get really excited on Christmas Eve. Maybe, who said 11? Raise your hand. Who said 11? Yeah, I would have been 11-ish, maybe even 12. There was one year I was so excited I could not get to sleep. I tried to stay up all night. I think I only made it to midnight, which is like forever when you're a kid. And then that didn't work out great for me because I got sick the next day. So be nice to your parents and go to sleep tonight, okay? Now, hang with me, kids. Can you imagine if you had to wait 60 years for Christmas? What do you think that might feel like? No good? Yeah, 60 years. 60 is even longer than I've been alive. That's a long time, right? Well, we are going to talk about somebody tonight who had to wait for her version of Christmas for more than 60 years. And I think she has a lot to teach us. Her name is Anna, and so we're going to listen to her story tonight. Will you guys listen with me? Great. All right. Well, let's, let's look at this together. So we are going to be in the text. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that. We are going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Verses 36 through 38. All right. And I can see. Here we go. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay, so who is this person, Anna, and what is it that she has to teach us? Well, we don't know a ton, but we get a few clues in the text here. We're told that she is a prophetess, that is someone who speaks God's truth to the people. There's only a handful of women in the Bible that bear this title. Miriam, Moses' sister, was one. There's a a judge in the the book of Judges called Deborah. She's given this title. Uh, We're also told that Anna is a widow, and she's very old. She's 84 years old. Now, uh, in, most, in this time, most Jewish girls would get married at about the age of 15, and I have an 18-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old daughter, so that's scary to me. I, I don't like to think that they'd be married by now. Um, but, and we're told that she lived with her husband for about seven years, and then she's been a widow ever since. So she's been in the state, she's been a widow for somewhere around 60 years. Now... Something we need to know about this is that being a widow in about this time, it's no picnic. There's not really an economic system that supports them. So if you, all of your financial provision would have expected to become from your immediate family. So if you had a husband, you provided for your wife and children. So widows were often neglected. They had no one to take care of them. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the law, there's special provision for widows and orphans because they're not members of immediate family. They need somebody to take care of them. And this is Anna. She's been in the state 
for about 60 years. Now, this is not true of a, uh, so true of us in the United States. It is in some pocket. It is, it is largely true around the world. But Anna's been doing this a long time. We don't know if she had children. That's not mentioned here. But the text tells us that she spends most of her time around the temple in Jerusalem. So we can deduce that she's taken care of somehow, but she is very likely living on the mercy of someone else. And we can also see that she is waiting. She's waiting. And what is it that she's waiting for? Well, in one sense, she's waiting what everyone else in Israel would have been waiting for at about this time. She's waiting for the coming of the promised Messiah, the anointed one spoken of in the Old Testament, who is going to come and deliver Israel from their enemies. But on another level, she's waiting for things to be the way they're supposed to be. And this might actually work better if I draw you a picture so I brought my Sharpie on stage here. Bear with me. I have terrible handwriting, but we're going to try and make this work. If we were to divide this a little bit, we might call this area, what is. And then we might call this area, what should be. And that looks terrible, but you guys, can, you guys get the sense of it. So let me, uh, and in between here, we have this gap. And I'll explain more about that in a second. So for Anna, the what is that she lives in is not so great. She lives in the shadow of the temple of the one true God. So every day she's reminded of this hope and dream that God would make his presence known in this time and this place and that the nations of the world would come here to know and experience him. But that's not reality for her. Her country is occupied by a foreign power. In this case, it's the Romans. So everywhere she goes, she sees that somebody is in charge that in her mind would be illegitimate. And as these things go, she lives in a corrupt time and place. There's bribery, there's heavy taxes, and, and, and then her leaders are no, really no better. Instead of looking out for and taking care of people like her, they suck up to people of power. They take bribes, they're corrupted. Everywhere she turns, she can see that what is is not what should be. Does this make sense? You guys tracking with this? Thank you. Oh, I'm going to trip over my mic. Stay here. Um, now, she might not be the only one, but she's likely one of a few who's waiting in this manner. There's been no word from God for over 400 years. So many have probably stopped waiting altogether, feeling like God is never going to show up, that it's going to be this way forever. So let's pull up here. Do we feel this way sometimes? I do. I bet you do too. Whether it's reading the newspaper or watching a few minutes of news on TV or just following along on your social media feed, it is easy to see that the world right now is not the way it's supposed to be. We're almost two years into a global pandemic. That's not fun. I'm tired of wearing a mask and all this kind of stuff. I imagine you guys are too. You know, there are stories about just basic fairness with people, being able to experience their rights. There's stories about injustice all around us. You know, just drive down the street or watch 20 minutes of the news, and it's easy to see the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Or even just, you know, Christmas time is great, but Christmas time can be a little wacky, right? You go to a store, you're fighting over the last honey-baked ham. This is not good, right? This is not the way things are supposed to be. And it's not just even what we see on the news. I'm sure many of you have family situations or personal situations that are just hard, right? 
They just feel like this isn't the way things are supposed to be. Maybe it's a, a neighbor that just keeps getting on your nerves, or maybe it's a loved one with a sickness or illness. You know, I know in my family it's been a, a tough a road in that regard. So it's easy to feel like this isn't the way it's supposed to be, and it can be easy to think this is just how it's going to be. But as we read God's word, we get a picture of the way it should be, where there's no sickness or death, where justice is practiced, where people are kind to each other and treat each other with dignity, where everyone can flourish and live a full life with dignity. And yet, there's this gap. So the Bible describes this phenomenon as sin. It's all the things that we think and say and do that tell God that we don't need him, that we don't love him, and that we don't care what he thinks. All the way from Genesis 3 to the end of the Bible, there is picture after picture of the havoc that sin wreaks among humanity, the spiral down. So when we say to God, okay, yeah, I hear you saying this thing, but I don't think you really know what's going on. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to do what I think is best. It doesn't paint a pretty picture. So sin is what creates this gap between what is and what should be. Now, I'm convinced that every person on earth lives with at least a sense of this. It's my contention that what you use to fill this gap will be the thing that defines your life. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who fills this gap, that his death on the cross pays the penalty for our sin, and that it bridges this gap between what is and what should be. And by raising up from the dead, he has closed is closing, and one day ultimately will close this gap forever, this tension between what is and what should be. So part of the Bible's counsel to us for times like this is to wait on the Lord. There's some version of the command to wait uh, more than 150 times in Scripture. One of my favorites is in Psalm 127, verse 14, where it says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So, if that's so important, maybe we should learn a little bit about how to do that, and I think Anna can help us. Just like we are waiting in the space between what is and what should be, she is waiting too. She knows that a certain set of things are true, that the one true God is looking out for his people and that one day he'll come to save them, but that's not her day-to-day experience. She's waiting for that to be made true. But notice in the text that her waiting, it's, it's not a passive activity. When we think about waiting, we might think about our experience at the DMV where we're just sitting there for hours until they call our number. It's not fun. Or that red light that we hate getting stopped at because it takes forever to turn green. Yeah, that's not the kind of waiting that she's doing. She's not, uh, she's, not doing, she's not just sitting back. Biblical waiting is something altogether different. In fact, biblical waiting has two aspects to it. One we're familiar with, that is where something is supposed to happen and we're just sort of waiting for it. So we're waiting for the pizza to come. We're waiting for our Amazon order to get delivered. We're waiting in line at the grocery store. We're waiting for the traffic light to turn green. We're waiting for, yes, Christmas morning to get here. But there's another type of waiting mentioned in the Bible, and that's best described as holding on with an attention. So the word picture the Bible paints is almost like holding on to the end of a rope, and somebody else has got it, and you want to keep that tension. So the waiting in that is not to let go of the rope, but it's to hold on and maintain that while the other person does that as well. 
And this is not a passive waiting. This is an active form of waiting. And this is Anna. Look at what the text says. She is in the temple worshiping, fasting, and praying. And the text tells us the text tells us that she does this night and day, and she's been doing this for 60 years. So if that's what waiting looks like, let's break this down a little bit. What does it look like to wait biblically? What well, involves at least three things, that is worship, fasting, and prayer. So we talk about worship here a lot. It's what we gather here every week to do, and we sing songs. Thank you to Hang and our worship team. We listen to somebody teach God's word. We pray. We have kids uh, service. And, but we do this more than just a weekly service. We're trying to build ourselves up to be a people of worship. That is to approach worship as a posture of life, not just a weekly ritual. We want to be constantly seeking out the presence of Christ. Anna shows us the way here. Notice that the text says she's in the temple day and night. She's in the place where God's glory dwells every chance she gets. I wonder if we feel that way. I wonder if we are seeking to be in the presence of Christ every chance we get. Uh, are we committed to being here on Sunday mornings? Are we committed to being in our small group, even when something pops up at the last minute? Does our love for Jesus compel us in the same way that Anna does? Does our love for Jesus uh, call us to engage in personal times of reflection and worship? Worship is one of the acts of waiting and resting and sitting in this gap between what is and what should be. And in fact, worship reminds us of what we're waiting for. We're waiting to live continually in the full presence of God. So worship. Worship is one of the keys to waiting well. The text also tells us that she fasted. Now fasting is not something we talk about a lot in our churches today. Uh, and so I actually spent a lot of this past year trying to learn about this. The best resource I found, I didn't bring it with me, I should have. It's a little book. It's about yay big. It's called Fasting a Neglected Discipline. And the title tells you half of what you need to know there. Uh, the author is David Smith. I know some of you are probably taking notes. Fasting, a neglected discipline. And the author is David Smith. So from this little book, I learned a couple key things. The first is that fasting in the Bible always refers to the with intentional withholding of food. Now, in some of your circles today, maybe you see somebody on your social media feed, they'll talk about doing a social media fast, where maybe they go off Facebook or one of these things for 30 days or something like that. That's all well and good. God bless them for doing that. But that's not what the Bible means when it talks about fast. It's talking about food. It's talking about not eating. And I'm not knocking that. But again, when the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking about not eating. Now, fasting is also it's most commonly associated with two contexts. One is the confession of sin. Often that is your own sin. So, for example, David, when, it, when he's in adultery with Bathsheba, he fasts as a result of that uh, situation when he's confronted by his friend Nathan. Uh, Paul, when he's on the road to Damascus and he encounters the risen Lord Jesus, the text there tells us that he fasted for three or four days until somebody came to pray with him. It can be a confession of sin on behalf of others. So the, uh, the priest, Ezra, when the Israelites are coming back from exile uh, and they come back to Israel, he actually fasts for a period of time because it's become evident that they have not been keeping up the law. So he fasts on behalf of the people. So confession of sin is one place where fasting shows up. But the other is preparation. 
Fasting is something do, uh, something people do in preparation. It's getting ready for a meaningful season of life or activity. Jesus himself fasted for 40 days and nights before he began his earthly ministry. Moses fasted for 40 days and nights as he was gathering the law and getting ready to go share that with the people. So my sense is that's what's inf- that is what informs the fasting that we see Anna doing. That as she is looking for the Messiah's coming, she's fasting as a way to prepare. Now, I don't know a ton of people that regularly practice fasting. I confess myself a novice at it. I'm looking at ways to do so more in the next year, and I admit I'm a little nervous. Um, I don't like to miss meals. I get a little grumpy. Do you, you guys, you get grumpy if you miss a meal? Yeah, me too. I get a headache. Like, it's not fun. I might give it a try, though. So there is something about this practice that God honors. That God honors. People who experience int- intimacy with God often talk about experiencing that through the practice of fasting. So I am looking for ways to give that a try, and I would encourage you to do the same. Just as Anna prepared for the Messiah's first coming with this practice, we would do well to prepare for his second coming. So fasting is another way that we can wait well. The third aspect of Anna's waiting is prayer. And we talk about prayer a lot around here. We pray multiple times in our service. Uh, One of our six pursuits as a church is fervent prayer. We even have a whole ministry team devoted to this. Given that we talk about it so much already, I don't want to belabor it too much, but I want to gingerly push you to consider your prayer life. For one thing, I hope you're having regular, daily, consistent times of prayer. For another, I hope your prayers go a little bit deeper than whatever circumstances you happen to find yourself in. Keep praying for those, of course. God hears those. He cares about those. I'm just asking you to consider going a little bit deeper and maybe thinking about this model when you do so. So in his most direct teaching on prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uses this phrase. Our Father who art in heaven, in fact, if you know it, say it with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or, as we might restate it, can we close this gap between what is and should, what should be? Can the world that we live in, in all its brokenness and sin, might that look a little bit more like heaven? for our prayers. Jesus invites us to do that, and I say we should take it up on him. So I know some of you uh, are probably praying often for something around your job, or your annoying neighbor, or some circumstance that you have, and uh, again, do that, but I'd encourage you to broaden out a little bit. Those news stories that remind us that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, pray for those. People in our community that don't know Jesus, that maybe even aren't sure where a meal's going to come from tonight, uh, that aren't going to go home tonight to a full table like many of us are, pray for those people. Pray for justice in our community, for single moms, for widows, for people on margins. If we all prayed this prayer like Jesus did, your will be done, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth it is in heaven. If God might use us to make this gap a little bit smaller here in Fairfax, what might he do? God heard Anna's prayers. She got to put her eyes on the Messiah that she prayed for for 60 years. And he hears our prayers too. Prayer is another way that we wait well. Now notice in verse 38 that after she sees Jesus, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
Do you hear that phrase? She spoke of him to all who were waiting. And for the redemption of Jerusalem, it's another way of saying the way things should be. For people who are waiting to see the way things should be, she is speaking of them to those. Do you know someone waiting? I bet you do. We're all waiting, of course. Maybe some of us feel it more keenly than others, but we're all waiting. We're all waiting for this gap to get filled. And as I said earlier, what you use to fill this gap is the single most important thing about you. It will drive the core of your life, your decision-making, your quality of life, how you spend your money, your time, your habits, your values, even your eternity. And I have watched, I'm sure you have too, I've watched people try to fill this gap with other things. Some of them outright destructive and toxic, like addiction or bad relationships or some of those things. But most of the stuff people use to try and fill this gap is a good thing that's just not up to the task. Maybe it's something about your career. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's vacations. Maybe it's whatever. But whatever it is, if it's not Jesus, it's not going to fill that gap. So I hope that you're trusting in Jesus to do that. that, to trust that just as he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he has filled it, he is filling it, and one day he forever will fill it, bringing his creation back together the way it should be. If you haven't, I hope you'll do that today, that you'll turn away from the sin that causes this gap between you and God and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection to forgive you and restore you that you'll give up whatever else you've been trusting in to fill this gap. I'm just telling you, it's not going to get the job done, but Jesus can. Now, if you have, I hope you'll follow Anna's example and go tell someone else. Part of waiting well is telling others what we're waiting for, that the world is broken, but that hope is on the way. Anna waited for the promised Messiah's first coming with worship and fasting and prayer. We celebrate that coming on Christmas, rightfully so, with gift-giving and feast and songs. But we also remind ourselves that we're waiting for the second coming, where he's going to make things the way they should be. So let's wait well. We can worship, we can fast, we can pray, and we can do that together. Merry Christmas, Fairfax Bible Church. May the Lord honor our waiting this year. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up as we pray, and we'll sing a little bit more and then be dismissed. Well, Heavenly Father, as the scripture says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of your inheritance. You do not retain your anger forever, but you show yourself in abundant love because you love to show mercy. And God, we are so, so grateful for that, especially on Christmas and this powerful reminder. And Lord, it's been a tough year in some regards, And I know every person in this room is probably waiting for something. We're waiting for a relationship to be restored. We're waiting for a a tough situation to be resolved. We're waiting for a loved one to get better. We're just waiting for something that's not quite right to be the way it's supposed to be. And Lord, we just confess that so often we look at other things to do that for us. And Lord, in this time and place tonight, we would confess... um, that we should stop, that we should trust you, and that, God, just as you laid yourself down for our salvation and gave yourself up willingly, you are working to make things the way that they should be. And we can have hope 
And we can live day to day just like this woman, woman Anna, that as we trust you, as we worship you, as we seek to be obedient to you, you'll do it. You'll take our what is and you will make it what should be. And Lord, I don't really have much of a prayer other than that. I have my own version of that story. I think all my friends here would tonight. And so Lord, we're asking, we'll we'll use the words that Jesus used, Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we give this to you and we trust you because you are able and you are worthy for us to submit our prayer to. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen.